Hello, everyone, and welcome to another podcast from Scanline Media. I'm Six Detmar, and I'm here with another interview for you this uh, today. I was going to say this week, but I guess I don't know exactly when this is going to be going up. I'm going to be interviewing Eric Johnson from Vertigo Gaming. How's it going, Eric? Uh, good, Six. How are you doing? I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad. So uh, you're fresh off of the launch of uh, Quick Serve Delicious 2 on consoles, right? That just that just hit. Right, and it's uh, it's been kind of a... Um... It's a staggered rollout for us, so we actually did uh, PS4 first, and then we just released Xbox One and switched together uh, right. last week. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you have uh, a pretty extensive your your position there is a production manager, right? Right. So, I mean, you have a have a like you know David's David's catalog. David uh, Galindo, the uh, the founder of Vertigo Gaming has a pretty like uh, a pretty straightforward history in in gaming whereas you've been like creation whereas you've kind of been hopping around from project to project right what's that what's that been like for you right um well i started out with uh i guess um as far as the development side goes i started out in 2011 with arkin games we worked on a game called uh we were working on a game at the time that was just i was i was out um, and picking up more steam in like post-launch called AI War One. It's AI War One because I say AI War One because we uh, recently we, we recently released uh, AI War Two in early access. Mm-hmm. Um, so AI War, War One, um, super hardcore strategy game. Um, one of those three hours tutorials just to get all the units kind of figured out. Um, you know, it's uh, super niche. But it, it just appealed so much because of a couple of elements to it. it had great AI, great strategy elements. We wanted uh, Chris Park is was the mastermind behind that, and he also had several other masterminds helping him improve that product. And basically, that the idea of AI War was to was to come up with strategies uh, for the AI to beat you in a way that they would react to you. Um, they would improv. They would come up with new. Uh, things that you haven't seen before, to, uh, you know, kind of approaches and techniques. And AI War was also an asymmetrical um, strategy game. So it was like you had already, like the humans had already lost. You were just trying to like work your way back um, and kind of take down the AI that had kind of said, well, we already beat you and we move on and they don't really care about you anymore. Hmm. Um, and if you, you're like kind of like a bee and if you sting a little bit too hard, or a mosquito, and if you, you kind of bite a little bit too hard, uh, they'll send the, they'll send the hand of God at you and it'll be bad, bad news. <laughs> um, so you kind of have to play this kind of chess match of, of I don't want to piss them off too much and kind of work your way up. Anyway, I'm going on a tangent about AI war, but that's where I started. And mm-hmm. that was obviously a really formative, important for, uh, kind of portion of my life there and career in gaming. As I just was thrown into um, a kind of a PR marketing role, just sort of, Hey, we have a community. We have, we want to sell more. We want to release a bunch of, uh, expansions. We basically did an expansion a year until a couple of years ago when we decided it was viable now, or it was a good decision to make a sequel instead of just kind of continuing AI war one forever because of the sort of the, you know, graphics basically getting older and needing to just making, we could do some, we could have done, you know, we had some ideas for some updates and that's why we ended up doing a sequel. And also because, you know, financially it made sense to do. Sure. So anyway, um, I'm still with Arkin. I mean, this whole time. So, I mean, mm. this, this hopping around, I kind of like, Imagine a, a hopping around, but my feet are still stuck in place, and I'm just kind of like going all over the place. That's mm-hmm. kind of where my career has been over the last five years, in particular. What happened was, uh, well, I mean, I was a, um, 
I wasn't single at the time, but I was only, you know, I was engaged to my now wife and I have two kids now and I didn't back then. And so the money that was coming in for AI and the, and, and it was a different era where the Indies were just kind of selling uh, better overall across the board. Now sure. it's more of a hit and, hit and miss kind of uh, landscape for us. So um, at that time, you know, which was kind of, you know, the golden age of, of Indies in like that 2011 to 2014, 2015 period where it was kind of like, in vogue and popular to have an indie game that was, you know, oh, it's great mechanic or, you know, people were just really into it and they, they sold really well back then and stuff. And, you know, we weren't selling like, like way more than we are, we are now, but at the time, you know, it was taking care of being stuff. And eventually, you know, having two kids and all that, I, I got to a point where I was seeing that arc in itself was probably not going to be able to financially sustain like my family and, you know, what, what, where we were going and stuff. So at sure. that point, it was a really tough decision at that point because I wanted to stay in indie development um, I had kind of taken this meandering road to get there in the first place, which is a completely, you know, another podcast, another hour of talking about that stuff, but, um, to get to into development, I didn't want to leave it. I also thought that indie development and the games industry in general, for the most part, but indie development in particular and indie developers and that whole kind of corner what is just sort of the most supportive, uh, supportive group that you'd ever come across. Um, everybody roots for each other. Everybody cheers for each other. Everybody picks each other up, um, provides knowledge to each other in a way that most industries kind of, you know, safeguard or, or you know, kind of gatekeep or whatever the case is. Yeah. Um, it just doesn't, it just doesn't happen. Um, you're considered a jerk if you do that, I think in the indie, in the indie circles and stuff. And, and so um, not that it's, that it's like the popular move, it's just the, the right thing to do. And so everybody, cause we, cause we all kind of want everybody to, to do well, survive, bring the industry up together as a, as kind of a whole. Mm -hmm. And uh, so anyway, my, my, I ended up basically working out a deal with Arkin saying, can I continue to kind of, uh, you know, do the main marketing and PR pushes for you guys when we hit, you know, important dates. So you know, before I was kind of full-time, even during the head down development phase, I was, you know, working a lot of hours each week trying to come up with uh you know kind of preparations and what are we going to do when we get to this point and uh how are we going to pull it off and, and all that and suddenly i you know i didn't really have that time but it was still like hey we still want you to help with pushes when we have a new release new update that kind of thing but then it was like okay well what are we going to do and so my uh arkin colleague uh josh knapp and i um decided to it wasn't at that point we started because this is kind of getting into the indie bros um, phase of my career path and indie brothers. It's indie brothers, by the way, not indie bros. Okay. We get a lot of people calling us. We get a lot of people calling us out for the frat thing. And if you look at our business card, we have a period at the end. And it looks like kind of like a Mario thing and stuff like that. Not too much like a Mario thing. Sorry, Nintendo. Like we're not going too close to that. <laughs> um, but like, but like we were seriously thinking of like more of the retro brothers kind of like thing instead of the uh, sometimes we'll run into people that are like why would you name yourself that and i'm going maybe i was completely idiotic in doing that um but <laughs> so anyway indie brothers is, is, is like our company that josh and i started for marketing uh kind of ripping off of arkin um we didn't start the company right away but rather we just started supporting other developers who we knew through friendships and through industry you know contacts and all that basically people who had met we who we'd met and kind of uh you know become acquainted with through arkin and from there we worked with uh so we worked with um dark god is his moniker on tales of Majaya, which is like a pretty popular old school uh hard hard roguelike mm -hmm. um 
And then we worked with Tim Keenan and Misfits Attic on their release of Duskers, which was like a really big release for us. So it's like a really popular, well, I wouldn't say it's like super popular, but it's a really incredibly good game. Very, very, uh, very much a gem. And it's really highly appreciated. It's like kind of like, um, if you can imagine kind of like a, like a lo-fi aliens game, that's Duskers. It's really, it's just, a, it's, it's super fun. Um, and then we ended up working with, uh, for a really short period with um, Tyne and Sylvester on RimWorld. Um, so we ended up getting some like big names uh, in the indie world anyway, yeah. to kind of say, hey, you know, we're, we're just kind of uh, working for hire at this point. Uh, maybe we should, you know, kind of get an LLC, to, LL, excuse me, maybe we should get an LLC together and, you know, make this official and, you know, try to, and what, what, and when, and like, everyone's like, well, what are you? And we were like, well, we, we're not really anything in particular um, because our backgrounds were kind of diverse with ARC and we really had to do a little bit of everything, including design. Um, like level design, like not like deep programming or anything like that, but like we, they give us the tools and we'd be able to do like things, like, you know, to come up with different levels, story development, um, you know, writing, all that kind of stuff. And that mm -hmm. was, that was, you know, in development type stuff, but everybody was just like, help us market, help us build our community, um, help us. Uh, there's a few requests for quality assurance checks, but for the most part, it was just, you know, help us find more people, reach more people. Mm -hmm. um, and we built up a pretty good list of folks. AI War was one of those kind of indies that was covered a uh, that that was that was covered a lot back in the in, in that kind of period of 2010 to 20 or 2009 to like uh, 2015. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we had names, we had some 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 you know channels we were connected to, and uh, suddenly that was like the biggest thing of value. To, for us and and of course the more folks we worked with it it became more of a legitimate thing i guess for us i mean um i guess i, I guess it was always legitimate but it never felt like that to me at first um mm -hmm. it just felt like we were just helping folks out um you know a lot of times it was just what was like an, an, an indie developer is is a borderline um destroying themselves like anyway yeah. with all the work all the work they're taking on and so you ask them on, to, on top of that to do a marketing or a PR push or pushes, which is what you're actually supposed to do across like a year of time, you know, mm -hmm. as you're trying to build momentum towards a launch. Um, you know, you're obviously like one or two people trying to do that is, is extraordinarily taxing on like just a, a human being. Um, and so you, unless you're a, a super efficient and just great planner and like hopping and you're just a jack of, uh, uh, not even a jack of all, trades but like a, a a king or queen of all trades um <laughs> you have to be just excellent across the board um you're gonna want help you're gonna need help in some ways like you know most most people have admitted now there's there's a it's a pretty it's pretty like it's a myth that when people say hey I, i'm a solo developer i've done this by myself because it's like you hired an artist or a sound guy or something um that makes you uh less solo than you claim to be sure um so so anyway, that's, that's all uh, tangential, but, um, anyway, it recently we've been with vertigo vertigo was part of the indie brothers, um, clientele that we had. And, uh, we just got to a point where, uh, that series cook serve delicious, um, is a really solid selling franchise. 
And uh, David and I agreed that it's a franchise that uh, could use um, some additional attention, some full-time support in the uh, marketing, PR, community management, all that kind of stuff. So mm -hmm. that's when I made my shift over uh, to Vertigo Gaming Production Manager while still being the co-owner and co-founder of Indie Brothers and operating manager at this point. And mm -hmm. while still being with Arkin and everybody else. And so thank you for letting me meander uh, to kind of present day uh, where, yeah, I'm, I'm not tied in knots, but yeah, I'm definitely all over the place. That is, that is a great way of describing uh, my, current, my current career as it stands in gaming. I mean, it seems like you must be, and, and your, your story seems to back this up. I mean, the fact that you're working sort of three places at once, like my impression as, as a person who does not work on game development, you know, I write about games, I podcast about games. Um, indie developers seem to be on the whole, not too many generalizations here, but tend to be like very focused, as you say, on their craft, kind of like introverted and like very busy. So you've got like indie games in a position where there are so many coming out right now their creators are so busy and also even if they weren't busy they don't really like putting themselves out there in large part right right and that's something that you just can't afford to do to do anymore unless like you think you think you're kind of i think you're getting that which is you know get someone else to do it for you mm -hmm. um but but i mean it's a, it's a, it really is a collaboration it's a really um developers who go you know, okay, you do everything marketing people. That's just not really the right approach. You right. really have to be in, 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 a, in a mindset to collaborate with the people you're bringing in, uh, getting them up to speed as much as possible because they're behind comparably to you, of course, um, as far mm -hmm. as how much they, they can, they know about the game and how they can act on that knowledge, right? Like you, like if you're a marketing person, you want as much knowledge as possible so that you can act on that knowledge um, mm -hmm. and say, okay, this is a way we can, we can market this game or, or this makes sense. Cause there's just, there's always the, the, the status quo or the things that you're going to do for, for most, you know, nine out of 10 games, you're going to do certain things, but there's also that, 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 that those other things that you really need to do that are you know, unique or, or, or kind of individualistic to the game that you're working on. Mm -hmm. um, th those are like super critical. And I think a lot of times people get burnt out before they get to that point where they're going, okay, now I need to come up with something kind of like a, a unique angle. Uh, for this game or, or or do a better job if it if it if it's not if it's not bringing in names or, or if it's not bringing in like uh, fans or interest already um, then obviously like you want to make sure you have a good game but if you do think you have a good game then you probably need to tweak your marketing copy and like mm -hmm. what you're putting out there for people that what like what are the descriptions people are reading and if that's not making people excited then then you got to change it up anyway i'm just on a tangent again <laughs> So, I mean, you're, you know, it's an interview. You're here to be on tangents. So it's uh, sure. <laughs> no problem. What does a marketing push look like these days for an indie game? And I mean, obviously, you know, listen, I'm not here to ask you to do like free contract work for me, right? I'm not taking down no, notes so I can promote so, my yeah. game. But like, I mean, what, like, are you, are you really focused on like trying to get it out to like, to like YouTubers? Are you trying to get people to stream it? Are you trying to get like, like, like traditional games media coverage? What is the, what is the focus for you? So it's, it is all of the above. Um, but the, the, the approach is definitely different than it was a few years ago. Um, and maybe it's not that it's the approach in general, but it's our approach because you kind of, you know, you kind of get experience and you learn. Um, 
things and you kind of act on it. And it used to be, Hey, we got a, a Kotaku article or, or, um, or, uh, uh, total biscuit, uh, you know, recipes, uh, covered us for AI war one, uh, you know, years back. And those things, those, that Kotaku article or a big YouTuber covering you, uh, mm-hmm. was a financial boom. There was a, there was a spike there. You could see the sales coming in, um, that day or next day from that coverage. You, mm-hmm. uh, you couldn't necessarily track it directly, but you're going, okay, this is, you know, you, you can make the, you can make the correlation. I mean, like famously with, uh, with David and, and cook serve delicious one, I mean, like he was at a point, I remember reading like him talking about how he was at a point where he was ready to give up on game development and then giant bomb put up some, some coverage of it and the game just suddenly was profitable. Correct. And so those were the things that were happening back in the day. You didn't need, um, this kind of coalition of support mm-hmm. that you do now. Uh, before it was like, if I can just get three or four, you know, even one or two big pops, like just, you know, big, really interesting, you know, people who are not just really big and have a lot of audience, but are really like, Hey, this game is awesome. Like, and that happened, mm-hmm. you know, back then that was really cool. And, and I think that still happens now. Um, but yeah, the, the, I think the change is that the, because of how many games are out now, um and there's probably other elements to this than just that but that's like an overriding factor i believe because mm-hmm. the amount of games that are out right now versus back then uh because because ai war was like the i think i think it was like the 130th game on steam and it might have even been like less than that and so when wow. you got on the steam back then it was a golden ticket you knew you were going to sell a certain amount of copies mm-hmm. you knew you were going to make a certain amount of revenue that's not the case anymore at all um and so the press and the YouTubers and the streamers, while they're still, they're still clearly a piece of the puzzle to me, that's just not where you start. Um, mm. And it really isn't something that you should, if you never get to those folks, it's because you were working on the things that were kind of the more important things at this point, and you just never accomplished those things. And what I mean by that is the to me, if, if you're on the, any development side and you're thinking, Hey, marketing, or you're thinking, Hey, how do we make sure that this game that we put that at the time we're putting in this game is, is hopefully going to pay off because I mean, in general, it's a gamble. And right now it's a tough gamble um, mm-hmm. to, to put in years of your time to know, Hey, we might not even sell. Like we've had, we, it, it hasn't just been like, okay, it's a hit or miss market. Like it usually is where it's like, okay, you can, you, if you can get that big one, you know, one out of a hundred games or it's more than that now, obviously, but like someone gets a you know big hit and they're taken care of like with like life changing kind of stuff. But that's not what most folks are looking for. It's just like, okay, if we can just get this to sell X amount of copies, we meet expectations, we can move on to the next game. We can stay, we can stay open as a, as a studio and stuff. But the okay. problem is, is that the sales now have gotten to a point that if you don't do your marketing right at the, uh, at the pre-release phase, uh, you're going to see like, like dead on arrival type numbers, like, like unbelievably low sales numbers that we have not encountered before, like in hit, like, like, like that I've seen before. So, um, cause we've tried it cause we, cause indie bros, as we kind of, indie brothers, as we kind of evolved, we've kind of, you know, worked with different, you know, situations. We've worked with all kinds of diff- different, uh, developers and situations. And what we found out really quick, quickly is that if, if it was in the post launch or if we were too close to launch to make a difference, we just not a whole lot you can do. Like, it's just like, okay, these numbers are not in place. And when I say numbers, I mean, pre-release measuring sticks. 
So what can you measure that you can say, hey, we can actually say if we have this number of this, you know, then we can make some money or we're going to make this amount of revenue off of, off of, off based off of like these numbers, we can make some estimates, we can make some projections. So, so what I'm beating around the bush at basically is like steam wish lists. Sure. Is sure. a huge thing. Sure. If you're a PC, if you're a PC developer um, and it's good to see consoles picking up wish lists as well, I believe all three of them have it. If not, then I know that uh, switch and Xbox have it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's important for sure. Um, mailing list signups, basically retention, right? Like ways to retain folks, ways to d- discord, uh, discord follows or, or like get, you know, starting a discord channel and getting people to, to, to be a part of that. Um, and of course you have to come up with, you know, why would they want to come to your discord? Like sure. there has to be reasons. Sometimes the game can do that itself. Other times it's not so cut and dry. So it's like, mm-hmm. you have to kind of figure out, but those are all, all those things and, and, and others too. Social media trailer views, I think is uh, more of a fuzzy one, but you can look at, you know, Hey, we got like 50,000 trailer views. That's a really good sign. Um, that's that bodes well for you. As far as like when you hit the launch button, you're, you can expect a certain amount of, of revenue and sales. So I guess what I'm getting at now to answer your question six is that it's, it's about player retention. That's where our mm-hmm. focus on is on right now. It's about building those numbers up into the thousands, maybe tens of thousands and stuff to ensure that these developers are going to hit a certain number uh, in revenue. It's trying to take the gamble out of the gamble, essentially. Um, the, the balance of that is, is that developers can, some developers have budgets that can't wait. They can't just sit there for months and months and months while the game is more or less done uh, for those numbers to build up. And then they launch and then they're really upset. And mm-hmm. that's just kind of, that's kind of what happens. Um, and so that's, that's the fine line I think developers are walk, walking with right now. Uh, the ones that have money in their coffers and their war chest basically, and that can kind of say we can weather some flops are the ones that you're gonna see make it through the next few years uh, and beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, and the ones that, you know, obviously, play their cards right and think really long-term when they get a big hit. Uh, you know, I think a lot of, I think a lot of really games that have gone really big have made really poor choices, but it's also because I think that it's, it's kind of hard to keep a vision for like, if it, as the game gets bigger, as the team gets bigger to keep the original vision of a game and, and all that. But um, anyway, at the indie level, it's really about just like pleasing and really just making your community ecstatic about your game, especially in pre-release. You want to get people to commit to it and stuff. Other than that, I mean, yes, we, we do the press and outreach. We do the, uh, you know, we'll, we'll fire off basically a press release to um, influencers and news editors and reviewers. We kind of just do like a catch-all and we, mm-hmm. we sort of give, every, give each person a call to, or each kind of uh, role a call to action. Because we know influencers, we know YouTubers and streamers aren't going to care necessarily about the news portion of it. They mean they're, they're, it, it informs them that the game is going to release in a month, but they're not going to take that necessarily pass that on. That's for news editors. That's for podcasters. Maybe if they have like a news like uh, thing they do, that kind of thing. Um, but what we can do in that press release as well is give them a call to action and say, hey, we're taking reservations for codes right now, or we have the review build ready to go. So just you know, email us back. And we'll get you a review, a review build. So the influencers don't feel left out when they get that because they see, okay, we're getting a call to action that we can get a code right now or I can kind of line up coverage on that because I want to mm-hmm. play the game. I don't care about 
like influence like, like when i say influencers i i'm like that's like a, a really marketing word but I'm, I'm just referring to i guess the greater video you know uh video video sphere of like streamers and youtubers and sure, folks that yeah. you know, don't consider themselves traditional press they just want to play the game mm-hmm. um and they have an audience so and that's and that's really important to us those guys uh those folks so so getting close to them is, is really important and then getting you know some sort the traditional press people i think a lot of people have sort of said oh they don't do anything anymore they don't mean anything anymore but i do think there is sort of a um a cycle and they're a part of it like people read what they write um it doesn't, doesn't mean like they're reacting to it like they used to like they, if, they, if, if someone reads a review, they don't immediately go buy the game anymore. And I think that's what people kind of developers kind of complain about is that it's just, there's, it's hard to see that one-to-one exchange like it used to be. Sure. Um, but that's, that's kind of the way it is. And um, I see a lot of developers make the mistake of saying, okay, I'm going to be really picky about who can cover my game. And they don't really let a lot of folks in. Um, and I mean, that can work if your game's really, really solid and you get like really popular folks to cover it. But for the most part, you want kind of like a critical mass of exposure. Um, and you know, you have to see the value in all different kinds of folks, including people who just go, Hey, I, I I don't even have like a YouTube channel. I just would love to test your game. There's a, there's a time and place where that's okay to give them a code. Um, there might be a time and place where it's not like, where it's like, Hey, we, you know, we did not do that, but, um, you're never like, I think people like guard their sales too much and they don't get that many and they're they're wondering why and it's like, well, you didn't let a whole lot of folks in, in the pre-release like phase when they were interested, mm-hmm. you like kind of kept them out. And then now you're like curious why it's like, don't ever exchange like someone being really, if, if you're like, Oh, well, we want to get that sale later. That's like a terrible I- uh, idea versus someone who's just like, Oh, let me help you like test the game now, make it better now. If they're really earnest and can actually do that, um, I think that that's like a really important thing. So I, that's that's kind of just getting back to what you were saying before. The idea of um, kind of you have to you kind of just have to react and, and work with whatever you have. And if you get a lifeline somewhere that you're saying, "Hey, this is a lifeline to some exposure," or you know, like kind of a line to some exposure mm-hmm. or a new audience um, that we want to reach you have to take it and you have to take those opportunities. Um, so a general outreach will plan, you know, Hey, if we have a release in say, say CSD two, six weeks ago, right? Like, um, we're going to do, we're going to announce, like, if we don't have the month, if we don't have the exact release date locked in yet, we can still know, Hey, we're going to get this out in uh, April. So we'll announce, Hey, we're coming out in April, um, to our list of contacts of influencers and press mm-hmm. and they'll, and they'll, um, we'll get a good response from that, but I think it's about being persistent. Some of the inboxes that we're sending to, uh, get thousands of emails a day. I'm quite sure. sure. So, um, so I think, it, I think it's okay. I, I noticed that when I send an email to somebody and then I reply to it and like, as a follow-up and I'm like, Hey, did you see this? Everyone gets super defensive. Mm-hmm. However, if I send another email two weeks later, that has an additional bit of information, all of a sudden it's like, it's, it's, it, it, there's no issue and it helps us actually retain more uh, press and influencers heading into uh, launch as far as who's covering us and stuff. So hmm. it's like a polite persistence. Hey, we're releasing next month. 
hey, we're releasing on this day next month. And a, a couple of weeks later, we tell them, you know, and, and here and then when they respond, we give them the, you know, kind of the embargo info. We plead with them now. This is not something we didn't do five years ago. We plead with them now to include the Steam uh, store page or whatever store page there is and encourage the fans to wish, wish list the game because you need those calls to action now. You may have always needed them, but especially now you need, you just feel like, Hey, we need to make sure that we're getting, giving every providing every uh, greasing, every step of the way for folks to be in love with this game, want to buy it, whatever the case is, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, and I think a lot of folks are just going, well, if people see the game on a video, then it's just like snap. They immediately want to buy the game. And that's probably true for some folks, but that's not true for a lot of folks anymore. I don't think. Yeah. And I think folks are really, I think a lot of, I think a lot of people are really picky now because you can be, uh, I think there's a lot of games out there that are doing things real, they're doing the right things and they're catering to communities in ways that have never been catered. The communities have never been catered to before. Um, so if you want to go out and find your game, you probably can. So if it's, and if you're one of those people that's just into a certain kind of genre or game, and if you have like a new indie and you're trying to get people's attention, it, it, it can be hard to get those eyeballs to turn over to you for any like real, like to any meaningful amount of time and say, oh yeah, well, actually this looks interesting and I will stop playing things that I absolutely have loved for years and years and years mm-hmm. and try, try your game. Like that is, that is no easy feat to do anymore. So, um, I hope it's not too doom and gloom, everything we're talking about here, but it's definitely like a tougher market right now than it's ever been because of the fact that I think people rightfully so are, um, are pickier. They have, a, they have, a, they have, they have uh, a ton of choices now so that they can make, they can make the exact choice they want to make. And they don't have to necessarily say, I'm going to, you know, try all these different kinds of games. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas like years ago, everybody was just, you know, into the idea of rushing their steam list up to 500, 600 games. Uh, whether or not they were going to play all the indies uh, that they bought. Um, it didn't matter to us. It was like, oh my gosh, this is great support and all that kind of stuff. So it was, it was, a, it was just kind of a different kind of time it is now. But yeah, it's all about, to me, it's all about retention, uh, player retention, having those numbers in place to the actual people that are going to buy your game, not the ones that are going to cover or expose you to your audience. You have to go out and, and, and kind of secure your audience yourself nowadays. That's the mm-hmm. big difference. So you mentioned like sort of not to be too doom and gloom, but like the, the way it's, it's really hard right now. And we're at sort of a difficult time. Um, it feels like we're at a particularly difficult time because we're also like this particular, you know, year we're at a crossroads where like, I mean, you know, you were, you were working with Arkin and Arkin and at least as far as I can see in, in history has mostly worked on like PC and Mac. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, so you're working with games that are getting console ports and then also we're getting, you know, the opening of the Epic Store and its fight for some exclusives. And we're also getting new consoles on the horizon, uh, presumably, you know. Right. Um, like, how does that weigh into things? Like, I mean, you know, I know that there's only t- to so much extent that like where what what platforms a game releases on is, is your call. Um, but like how does like, you know, offers of, of exclusiveness or how do like consideration of like how portability like how how much how easy it would be to to move a game to another platform? How does that weigh into the decision these days? Sure, um, it's obviously it's circumstantial. Like AI war, you just cannot do on console. It's not going to happen. Like there's yeah. there's just there's just no way, um, no way that that game is is uh, is made. Um, but you know with with Arkin, 
with any PC developer, really, um, if they, if with, uh, I think Epic cartridge is a, is a, a cartridge is another example of like an Epic store that is offering, um, like a time limited exclusivity launching for games. Like if you, you know, you can do a 30 day launch period with cartridge mm-hmm. and now, obviously that plays in for developers because they can guarantee themselves revenue, which is really hard to do nowadays. Right. Yeah. So, um, if, if someone says, Hey, we'll give you 50,000, uh, for launching on our, uh, store before you launch on steam and your projections for sales were way below that, or you were just trying to hit 50,000 to move to the next step for your company, then you know, hell yeah, you're going to probably take that. You know, you're, pro- you're mm-hmm. probably going to take up that off- offer. Um, and I know uh, that there is a contingent of players that hate to hear that. Um, but it's, it, it's, it's absolutely a survival play on the developer's part to, to ensure they're going to continue to be around as a studio making more games in, you know, 2020, 2021. Um, God forbid we plan five years out at this point, you know what I mean? Like, so uh, it's just, cause it's just, it's just too crazy. Um, so the other thing to think about is, and there's an article I'm thinking of, I cannot remember who wrote it. Um, it's a really good article. Uh, it talks about the, basically the, the power and the leverage that developers uh, have um, kind of versus or, on the other side of uh, platform platform holders. So, at the beginning of let's let's use uh, Switch for an example. Mm-hmm. Uh, at, the, at the beginning of Switch's um, kind of maybe not inception, but whatever it's it's not it hasn't established itself yet. Um, you know, Nintendo's making decisions at that point, and at some point, they did, Nintendo made made a decision to say, "Hey, we're going to open the floodgates a little bit to indies here. We're not just going to." say like you know they were they just their curation had been super high to that point on other on other systems like 3ds and wii and all that kind of stuff like wii u um if you you know it was much easier to get an indie release on ps4 and xbox one versus uh nintendo to to the point of when before the switch came out right right so under that kind of idea there was this I'm sure there was, this is when the developers have basically the leverage is what I'm getting at with like a platform is when the platform has not yet established itself is not yet claimed victory or anything like that. Like it's just, it's, it's still figuring itself out. It needs some killer apps, you know, all that kind of like, you know, old, old talk and stuff. The idea is, you know, developers can leverage that their desperation of platform holders, desperation, essentially more in that case, and get better deals for themselves. Um, get whether, whether it's actually just directly financial or if it's just like, hey, get us on in your E3 lineup, get us in your market, some some sort of marketing, um, big time marketing like pushes that like we could never pull off by ourselves as indies. Like that that's the kind of leverage that you can kind of pull. Um, but as the console matures or as the platform matures, uh, and they're, they turn into kind of that profit machine, see valve, see steam. Uh, well, they don't need you anymore. Like yeah. they don't need you at, at all, <laughs> like at all. Um, so things change really rapidly. Well, not really rapidly, but rather you have to see that kind of what's on the horizon. Um, so the new consoles coming up, even if they are like, you know, like just the new, 
putting a five on things instead of a four or the latest version, you know, kind of stuff. Those platforms still need to establish themselves against their other their comp their competitors. Um, that was a big deal, I think, in the last two generations in particular. Were hey, we need to have some really cool, awesome indie games to make sure that we're covering that, even if it's not the most important thing uh, to have to win the console war or whatever. Um, I think all three of those consoles or all three of those platforms on the console side have bought into that um, mm -hmm. pretty fully. Um, and they support in ways that are like, like you just, it just used to feel really dismissive. And now it feels like, Hey, there's actual people there that are supporting that have been hired to support, you know, for developers and indies and, and things of that sort. So, so that's, that's, that's a nice, that's a nice turn to me. If you want to talk about what we can talk about doom and gloom, but the consoles have really kind of stepped up, uh, recently and as PC and steam has become a tougher thing to pull off as the numbers have just ballooned into the, as far as game releases are concerned, have just ballooned into like app store type numbers on steam and the visibility is, you know, I think, you know, it's, it's arguable, but it's probably the lowest it's ever been for, you know, the vast majority of developers on that platform. Mm -hmm. Um, it's it the you know having those other options uh, consoles and stuff those are really important. Um, obviously, you want to have if you can't make enough the you know pie in the sky you're making enough revenue off of your main platform stream channel whatever it is whatever that revenue stream is like that's that's taking care of everything. But I think a lot of folks now are are thinking I need to have multiple revenue streams coming in and supporting mm -hmm. me so that if one suddenly dries up um, and again, sudden is, is a relative term, but you could say from where steam used to be with, 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 um, with at least a percentage of developers, the way steam used to work and the way it works now, that revenue stream has probably dried up for a certain percentage of developers mm -hmm. You need other, other options. So that's all that, you know, getting back to your original question, those are all things that we're constantly considering. Um, you know, I think the developer, as far as the programmer, the developer, they just want to make the game and they want to make, and they, and they want to get to as and, and, you know, the most developers want to just make a game and get to as many people as possible mm -hmm. um, and make enough money to make another game and, st and stuff. And, and then there's, there's some developers who are, you know, they'll have their projections and all that, but that's, that's the name of the game is really just, just get to enough. To, so what I'm getting at is that the whole business side of it, uh, it exhausts it exhausts everybody on the development mm -hmm. side, including, including me. Uh, it's extremely exhausting to have to work with um, folks to just get things kind of in place where we can say, Hey, we're going to get enough eyeballs here to feel like, you know, in a, in a current period where it's like, not just the flavor of the week is like the flavor of the hour. Um, we get our 15 minutes or whatever. Um, and hopefully in those 15 minutes, uh, we stick with some folks, but yeah, it that also comes, goes back to just trying to stay persistent and, and not just saying, okay, we're going to make a big, big noise. Like one, make some big noise, like one time. No, mm -hmm. you have to be thinking about like periodic reminders. Hey, this game is almost done and it's looking great. And here's some new things about it. And, you know, just continue to say so that, so that when the buy button shows up or when the game goes on sale or, and launches, folks go oh yeah no i've heard that game i've heard of that game i saw this guy play it or i read a review or i've just seen it two or three times now instead of zero or one 
once. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually going to consider a purchase rather than just say, nah, 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 I've got enough games or, you know, like even just getting them to wishlist the game is like victory. <laughs> so, so another like interesting sort of thing that's come up, I feel like, especially more recently. And uh, I will say just real quick, I'm going to be talking about like, like ports. And I will say having, having played uh cook serve delicious, I've only played the PC and the switch version. I haven't tried the Xbox or PS4, but mm-hmm. that switch version is a very excellent port. It runs great. I, you guys did a great job, Thank but you. Um, I'm wondering, like you're seeing a lot of, I'm seeing a lot of instances and I don't want to name names. I'm not here to embarrass anyone of games that get ported. I would say, especially to switch where it feels like the performance just isn't there. Like it just feels like, Mm -hmm. you know, probably they hired some other studio to help them and it just wasn't done to the level of the original release. Um, and I'm curious what that does, you know, for, from a marketing perspective from, and, and, you know, trying to promote the game how that affects things and like you know do you have to do messaging around like oh we'll fix it or do you try and push people towards a specific platform or like what's what's the play there yeah that's interesting um you know it's it it, it is funny you mentioned that because it's something we work with all the time is like detriment we we call them like detriments it's like there's nothing we can do about this because it's kind of on the, the it's with the game itself or the developer side um, but we still have to kind of figure out how to how to go about this, how to market this, or, or whatever the case is. Um, you know, it's transparency is the number one. Like, kind of transparency is to me your your sword and shield in, this, in these kind of things. Um, if you can't get a if you can't get a good port together, um, you, or you tried and it didn't work out. Uh, you know, obviously not being forthright about that is not going to work out well in most cases. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you can play the whole, like, um, play, you know, you can play dumb and send them, send the influencers and the press, the whole press release and they can request the review copies and you can go, okay, this is going to work out and stuff. And you can send them, <laughs> send them the codes. And, um, but then of course, you know, the coverage comes in and the videos come out and they point out all the, all the issues or the errors and, and um, the nice ones actually will send us like paragraphs as like a feedback report for like in private to us, as opposed mm. to just like putting it on their channel, being like, this game is, is completely crap because it, it doesn't work. You know, when, like in, in your case, you're pointing out, it's like, it might, it might be a good game, but it's just not a good port. Um, mm. and, and the performance is suffering or whatever. Um, you know, there, I like, I haven't been in that instance, uh, fortunately, like before like, that I can think of. Um, we do have, I, I do think that there are some times when like a developer will have a game in early access. Like we've been in this position before and I, and, you know, I, I used to, I'm, I'm pretty sure on certain things now that I, that I didn't, wasn't sure on, you know, obviously a few years ago, I'm sure most people can say that. Right. Um, but like, if a developer had an early access game that just wasn't ready for early access and in, in like early access game in the last few years is different than the early access game for like, from like five, six years ago, the early access game in the last few years, you have to have a really polished product. You have to, it has to be kind of a, like a, like a, a complete, it has to be playable, like has to have a beginning, middle and end or, or something along the lines that has a repeat, a repeat playable loop. Um, that is just really fascinating. If you don't have something like that, then your game's not ready to go out into early access yet. It's 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 just not going to go very well. Um, and yet, I feel like I've worked with, and this is like back when I wasn't 
so sure about that. Um, we would be working with developers in early access and they'd be like, get us more coverage, you know, like wh why aren't we selling copies? And it's because it's like the game's not ready yet. It's not even close. Yeah. Um, but you could, but like, I couldn't, I, you know, it's like, you, I wasn't, I didn't know that in my head. I had to, I had to go through those experiences and see and confirm, Hey, um, you know, early access has really become this thing that, you know, you still have to sell them on a product. They're not going to, mm -hmm. they don't want to, they don't want to come in on this idea or it should be in early, in, in a perfect world, an early access game is like both a product and like, you can see the potential. Like you already have like something there that's like, oh, this is great. This is so fun. And then you're going, oh my gosh, there's so much more that can be added to this too. That's like a perfect early access release. Like that's when you want to launch an early access. Um, uh, like, cause, cause the idea on that as well is um, early access is just the same as a 1.0 launch if it's on Steam. You don't want to, your first Steam launch, you want to basically hit as big as possible and like you want the wish list numbers to be in place like we had talked about earlier and all that uh so i imagine it must be like the the bane of your existence to hear you know people saying like oh this looks great i i guess i'll wait till it leaves early access it's not the bane um because obviously building up wish lists or building up focus or building up people who are interested in buying the game at 1.0 is still really important uh that's like a really like hitting 1.0 in the same sort of big way that you can that you that you might with the, your first steam launch within in the case of early access uh that's really important um but uh you just kind of nowadays you're not there's there's no bane if someone says they're interested in the game but they just aren't going to play it till later you're just happy that they're interested in the game right so mm -hmm. um I, and i think that you know obviously if sales are just pouring in on the early access that's like that's like a classic early access thing too. If a, if, a, if early access if an early access game is, is selling well, it's just going to sell better naturally. That's how any actually release happens. Um, it picks up steam. So, uh, but you understand why certain folks want to wait. I mean, AI, AI War too. I certainly understand uh, why so why some a lot probably I'm hoping a lot of folks want to wait because we've done pretty well. But I would love to sell more. You know, when we hit 1.0, and I'm like would love to know that a lot of those folks were just kind of waiting for us to to hit 1.0 because they said hey i want to finish product and i just don't want to be involved in the uh early access uh period for whatever reason maybe they just don't like the ui changes you know like right. I think there's people who just like everything kind of locked in mm -hmm. and uh and don't have to like worry about like anything that's like too sweeping of a change for them that can happen in early access to some i think to some extent um not that you want sweeping changes especially like with mechanics uh once you hit early access um, so no, they're not the main, uh, they're really important because, uh, you just, you need to be kind of refilling those wish list numbers, right. After the or original early access launch, then you're going, okay, it, at some point, uh, for most early access launches, it comes back down to some sort of baseline number of sales each, each day or each week. And, you know, those are kind of, for the most part, those are very like, Inconse they're not inconsequential but they're just they're not like during the launch period mm -hmm. um so during that during that like kind of pe dark period or whatever you want to call it you want to be building up wish list for folks who are like okay i'm i'm not buying the game early access because i'm not an early access person but or whatever <laughs> but uh but i want to buy the game when it hits 1.0 so um and uh no one ever talks to me i, I just I, I never hear that I, I, I honestly i just like i don't think i can I, I can remember people saying like oh I'll wait to 
to buy it. It's just like people are just so it, it, you don't even hear the communication that much anymore. So sure, um, that's something that you have to be yeah on about as well. So so uh, we've had a lot of a lot of like one question leading to another, leading to another. Um, and there's a very basic question because of this chain that I have still not asked, um, which is just like how do you decide like what what games, what projects you're interested in pursuing? Because you're in a position where you're a little more free to. I mean, I'm sure you know there's there's a certain level of like just you know keeping the lights on but you have some more freedom as to choosing what games you're interested in, in working on. Um, and how do you make that choice? Right. Um, well, we have folks approach us uh, as one, 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 or one of our avenues is just, you know, folks approach us and we take a look. Um, you know, we're better now than we used to be as far as um, looking at kind of, you know, analyzing a, a, a game for how well it's going to go. Um, or if it has a good shot of, of doing well or, or succeeding in what its, what its goals are, whether it's, you know, funding a Kickstarter or doing 10,000 sales at, at, during early access or 25,000 sales, one point all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Like we kind of look at that and then we take that into consideration. Um, generally when people approach us, that's either a really good sign or a really bad sign because <laughs> they, they either really know that they have a, like a, a winner on their hands or they're clueless. Um, and, and, uh, so, you know, with the clues folks, we try to straighten, you know, we try to not straighten them out, but like try to let them know, um, and give them insight that hopefully they can kind of, that opens their eyes or, or gives them sort of, you know, Hey, this is, this is the reality with this situation. Or you know, if they think they're, they have like a hit on their hands, but they have, if the game isn't right, it, you know, has some missing elements that are, that need to be there, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, or, or they, sometimes we just have developers who have no concept of what it means to build a community, right? Like just going, Hey, well, we should just be able to release this in two weeks from now. Right. And you'll get us all the coverage. And it's like, you haven't done anything to this point. So mm -hmm. this could be really difficult. Like in fact, it's impossible. Um, but I think we're pretty, I think like you said, um, there have been more desperate times than there are than it is now. Um, we do try to keep the doors open by supporting we don't really have like a genre or hey you know you have to be like this kind of game uh we worked with a pretty pretty wide variety of of games uh just different genres different uh different you know platforms different releases all that kind of stuff so or get you know kind of one-time releases games that are like more like services or have constant post-launch uh content going on you know, mm -hmm. obviously seeing a game that has legs already, we know we can augment. Like that's something that I like I that um is is something that we that we've always known is that if you have something that's already selling well, we can expose it to more folks and continue that that positive, you know, that positive result. Like we can build off off of that. It's whether or not we can earn our value. Uh, back when they, you know, hey, hey what's your, how much do we have to pay you for getting this extra exposure? Could we get this? And then the developer can, can, can always ask themselves how maybe we could do this ourselves. They, I mean, I think that's like a viable, a completely viable question. Um, but uh, that's when like, hey, we do have certain connections that can help if, if, if uh, certain folks don't and stuff. So it just kind of depends. Um, but yeah, if they have something that's already rolling or just really heading in the right direction, um, that's a, that's something that we, we, we try to jump on up, of course. Um, but we do a lot of mentoring too. 
and, and, and like mentoring is not like the right word cause we're getting paid. Um, but sure. like we, um, we take on, uh, developers who I think have really just solid or really good games, um, that are either new IP or, uh, the developer themselves. This is their first commercial release or first, um, kind of major marketing or we're going to put some marketing effort behind this kind of release or whatever the case is. Um, you know, we, we don't, we don't shy away from those, although they are, you know, uh, quite a bit harder to get the success and the results that you're looking for um, out of those because, you know, you really have to build those from scratch um, and hope that, uh, you know, the game itself and the collaboration with the developer and the marketing team kind of comes together um, and coalesces. Like sometimes that, that happens for games before the marketing even picks up. Like it's like, oh, this is going to go well. There's just no way it's not, you know, and that's, and, and that doesn't happen very often. And that's obviously a great feeling to have. Um, but most of the time it's going, oh man, we just got to get people to like pay attention to us or, or, or give us their ear for a little bit. We just wanted to see if people actually want to play this game. And, you know, the, the, the new thing we're doing a lot now to um, kind of figure out six, whether or not we uh, have a game that's kind of a viable successful product on our hands is trying to get more people to join in in like a pre-release test and uh, get feedback on, on, on that kind of folks. Again, it's, it's, it's just, it's like the opposite of wanting to pe- keep people out. You want to invite as many people in, in the early process that are willing to look at that kind of stuff. You don't obviously don't want people coming in who aren't interested in doing that. Um, mm-hmm. But if you have, if you have folks who are very much um, saying, Hey, I like a concept and, and I would definitely test it and give you feedback on it. That's, I think, really important uh, because, um, you know, obviously you want to have, uh, I think it was Zach Barth from Zachtronics said this, is that, you know, you have to have taste, like good taste, if you're a developer, if you're creating games, right? If you don't, you're mm-hmm. not going to sell anything. Um, sure. And so if you yourself and, 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 you know, Zach Zach basically cut it off there. And he was like, if you yourself don't have good taste, then you're screwed. And I, and I, and I don't think that's exactly true. I think if you, if you don't have good, necessarily have like your, your pencil sharpened on that, then go find other folks to give you, to give you the ability to figure that out. Um, you know, this is, you, you shouldn't live your, you know, this is like the critical, like every, you're doing everything by yourself. You're on an Island, but you have to realize that if you're going to succeed, you have to get off of that Island or like, you know, send out messages in bottles or whatever the case is mm-hmm. um, and, and get that, that, that critical feedback, hopefully from folks that really know what they're talking about, whether they're, and it should be a combination of really of players, developers, small influencers, or people who just want to pitch in and help that know games um, and know what is a good game versus like a game. that's like, Oh, you know, this has everything. It just doesn't have that fun factor. You know, you want to be able to, to figure that out, especially a, a like, you know, at the right times in the development process um, sure. and then at the right times and when you start implementing the marketing. So those are all things we like to look at. Sometimes we realize it before we sign the contract. Sometimes we realize it after we sign the contract. So it's, you know, there, there are things, it's, it's, it's sometimes it's messy and we don't quite have it all, you know, I, I wish we could say, hey, we, we, we've scouted everything perfectly. We haven't, you know what I mean? Like we've had so many um, things that we thought, hey, this is going to do uh, better and it just didn't work out. And in certain cases, you know, it, it, 
in certain cases, I, you know, we would take the fall and I'm willing to take the fall and say, Hey, this was on us. We didn't get it marketed, didn't get it out there enough. In other cases, it was like, wow, the exposure we got in this game. And then the conversion on sales was just so catastrophically low in a way that we had never like imagined and stuff. And that, those are like the, the tough ones because the developer is still mad at you, but they're, but you can just be like, wow, God, we just, so many people looked, gave us a look. But the mm -hmm. game just didn't sell. The game just doesn't sell. It just didn't sell, um, and that and that can happen occasionally. And that I think has happened more so in the current market. Um, again, this is why you have to lock things in. Have to lock in those pre-release numbers and, and metrics so that you can feel like you have something. So that you feel like you can launch and not take that gut punch when you go, "Oh my gosh, it's not even going anywhere near our expectations." Mm -hmm. um, because that's happening, I think, really freak on like a like a high frequency right now, like um, for a lot of developers. And it, you know, I mentioned earlier how developers, how indie developers in particular, are awesome because they share and they like we share advice and we give kind of feedback or or, or we share experiences and we and all that. But uh, the the flip side of that is successful people talk a lot more than people who fail. Mm -hmm. um, and so you're not going to necessarily hear about um, all the folks that, you know, I, I'm guessing a lot of people just don't want to talk about how they put two years into something that didn't work out. Like there's a lot of folks that are just not going to want to write a Gama Sutra, Gama Sutra post, uh, post-mortem on that. Um, sure. Where, where and, and, and the ones that do, I think are like, that's really important because we need to see all the experiences that are going on. We can't just keep reading the ones that are like, Hey, this, you know, I tried this marketing plan that everybody else tries and it just went super well for me. And you're just going, okay, but that doesn't make necessarily mean that it's going to, that's great advice for other people to take. Right. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's just, it's just that it worked out for you. Um, and you know, the, yeah, you have to just be really careful with the copycat marketing. Like there's certain things that you do every time, no matter the game, most in most cases, but you know, you have to get away from the idea that you're like, yeah, they did this and it worked out really well. So it's going to work out really well for us if we do it. Mm -hmm. I wish I could sit here and talk with you all day, but I'm, I'm going to be considerate of your time. I got two more questions for you. Sounds great. So uh, first is, have you considered uh, going into uh, like outside of computer games? Have you considered like board games and, and physical games of that nature? We have, um, we've talked to some folks about it. We in, have like extensively talked to a few, a few people. Um, it, that, that's a really tough market. Um, like that's, I think, I think board and card games is even more like hit or miss. Like if you can get a hit, it's a huge, huge thing obviously for you, but if it's a miss, the amount of investment that a uh, card and a, uh, board game folks have to put into the actual product itself often does not leave them a ton of wiggle room for a budget for uh, PR and marketing like firms. Mm -hmm. um, so that definitely plays into why I don't think we've done it a lot or ever, really ever. Uh, we've done some consultation, I think for folks, but we've never actually like signed a contract with a, with a board game or a, or a card game developer. Um, I do think that there, that's a space that I'd, I'd be interested in getting into, I think, um, but, uh, it's not a place that it's certainly a place that we're a little green in. I, I think that we, there's some crossover to what we do with it. Um, we have 
we've worked on card games as uh, you know video game card games mm-hmm. um but never but never like physical um before so it'd be something we'd be interested in uh doing it with the right clients again would love some a client with you know obviously some momentum already built up um as opposed to them just being like hey uh, i've got this thing and i've never done this before and and you've never done this before, but that's probably what it would be anyway. So in the end, so yeah. something along those along those lines is that um, when we're getting into something like a new area, it usually has to be a developer who's like, well, I have no clue if this is going to work or not, and <laughs> we're just going to take a punt with you and stuff. So, um, but sometimes, but sometimes it's that it's that such like scenario that I've described before, where it's like, hey, you guys think have things really rolling, you just can't do the extra marketing work that you would want to do to kind of augment your current situation and take things to the next level. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. I hadn't thought about how unforgiving that market can be, but that actually, yeah. Once I think about it, that really checks out with, with some of the things I've seen come and go. We don't hear from them much comparably. Um, and I don't think we advertise to them like heavily or anything like that, but um, you know, when we've had a lot of interesting folks that are not, uh, video game, like they're not just like, Hey, market our video game approach us for, for, you know, marketing before. So he through our website, which is clearly like video games, but we've had folks that are like, Hey, we help us with this event or product or product. That's not, you know, non like an app or this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, and Hey, that's again, that's how we've kept the, the doors open is looking at something and saying, can we help it? Um, is it a decent fit for us? Like, can we make a difference for it? Um, you know, if those, if we can check those boxes, then I don't see why we don't go forward with it because we get a great experience from, from taking on new products and new projects like that, because, you know, you get a lot of understanding, um, you, through the experience itself. This is something that like, I always denied in my early twenties. And now I just like, I like love in my thirties is that the experience is so critical, right? When, mm-hmm. when you're younger, you just want to be like experience, who cares? You don't need experience. Um, because you want to make it and it's kind of a survival, I think instinct is to just kind of say, Hey, I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not experienced, but I, but I want to be (laughs) so, but, but, but honestly going through, through those, um, and taking on those, uh, new projects that we maybe have some uncertainty about as far as how exactly we're going to market this. Um, I think, I think that that's an important aspect to Indie Brothers because if we didn't do that. Uh, we could really get into that sort of um, cookie cutter approach that that some firms take, where it's like it doesn't matter what the product is; it's kind of like the same approach every time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I feel like you know, if you're if you're like popular enough, you have a, you have a wide enough network or whatever, you can probably you might be able to uh, make up for the detriment of that. But I think overall, it's a bad bad call to do in general like i just think it makes more sense to um have that kind of okay let's take this from scratch and build up a marketing plan and look at the game itself dive into the game itself and then come up with some new ideas you know and and uh games that we haven't or products that we haven't worked with before or that are like kind of like outside our comfort zone that doesn't bother me that much because it's like hey this is an opportunity to kind of pull some of this into our comfort zone Mm -hmm. well speaking of comfort zones then i do have one other uh comfort zone related question which is um 
what are your thoughts on like have you had to deal with games that were or, or other projects that were crowdfunded and how that affects uh your your plans and if you haven't you know sort of just your thoughts on on trying to market a crowdfunded game these days sure sure yeah we work with crowdfunding games um pretty regularly um not as much as like a full release but i'd say like once one 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 every one in every ten contracts usually has some sort of crowdfunding element to it. Um, if we're getting pulled in prior to the crowdfunding um, campaign, then we would. It, it depends on what exactly the developer is looking for. Some developers are, like you said, kind of introverted. Um, they're able to kind of just give us the information and the assets, and they're like, come up with us with this full 30 day plan or 45 day plan, you know, running into the Kickstarter and through the Kickstarter itself or the campaign, whatever, whatever the, the crowdfunding campaign is. Um, whereas other developers are just looking for some consultation um, on what they put together. And they're saying, Hey, like, I need to know if, if these are worth putting out there, or, you know, maybe like blog posts at certain points or, you know, just looking over like various assets, like trailers, videos, things like that, that they're working on. Um, and then of course there's the, Hey, like we worked with, we work regularly with uh, Spiderweb software who that's uh, Jeff Vogel, who's been an indie developer for like three decades plus, And he does like old school um, top down isometric RPGs, like really, like old school kind of look um, another kind of niche similar, not, not similar to Arkham games, but similar in the fact that they have a really strong audience, like despite it, it's despite it being a niche kind of audience, it's really um, solid and you can expect them to support. Um, and so they were doing a crowdfunding um, campaign for their upcoming game, uh, Queen's wish the conqueror. And uh, they wanted us to do uh, just do the, the PR and outreach for them um, kind of leading in, into that so that they could get a couple of, you know, big articles or a couple of notable articles from the, cause they're doing mobile and PC. So they're looking for obviously like sites like touch arcade, PC gamer, rock, paper, shotgun. Um, and in Jeff's case, those sites have been like, covering him and his games for years and years and years so it's not super that that's like that task is not super hard for us it's just about like getting the the message over and making sure that they're that that, that that's seen and usually they take it and go from there uh spider web just doesn't want to do that they, they're saying hey you you do that for us and stuff so that's that's not super obviously intensive um, the ones that are intensive is when the developers are like no your skin is in this game you're running this kickstarter for us um, because you probably like, to be honest, if you really run a Kickstarter or a crowdfunding campaign, uh, properly, you probably give up some of your life, right? Like you probably yeah. give away, like during that, like <laughs> during that 30 day period, you probably cut off some of the, your, some, some of the end of your life, um, for, for how like intensive it can be. And obviously if it, if it goes really well, really fast, that, then you don't have to necessarily, uh, be that active or desperate or whatever, but, um, even when it goes really well, that usually makes people want to put more energy and, and, and effort into it because they want to try to maximize the potential of it. Um, so, you know, if we're getting into like a full on hardcore crowdfunding uh, thing, then 
usually would like a couple months in advance to come up with preparations, come up with the right date. Um, and the right date is always subjective, right? So it's like, what's, what's to, what, where, what's, what, what are the things that we need to avoid? Um, big events, big, both big online and public events that would be taking a lot of eyeballs and mavens like press writers and uh, folks like that would be taking them away from what we're trying to get them to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we try to find dates that don't do that. <laughs> um, and I think with Kickstarter and crowdfunding, there's a pretty good understanding now that if it doesn't go well in your first few hours or for at least the first day, but even tighter, like in like the first like six hours, um, you know, you can kind of, you can look at how it's gone over the first six hours and say, there's a 90% chance that this is going to work out or not at that point. Like, mm-hmm. so obviously it's like an early access or steam release where you really want to front load um, your support. So if people are like, it's just like a pre-release, anything with pre-release, right? Like uh, you want to be building folks up who are like, I'm definitely going to, um, you know, back your Kickstarter when it goes up. Like that's that, that, okay. I don't have steam wishlist. So I need mailing lists or something like that, like where I can, or forms or discord to make sure that I can make multiple posts or send out an email like to everybody on my mailing list when it's time for them to back so that their support comes in fast and basically as quickly as possible in that first day and everything else kind of builds up off of that. Right. So if, if, mm-hmm. if you are able to get to X amount of backers and dollars by yourself, then you'll probably you know, there's usually some sort of conversion of additional backers and, and the amount of money that you're going to get because of where you've been able to get it to on your own. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. You need that momentum. Yeah. Right. Like, and, and so and obviously the more, the more backers and the more money that you, that you are able to build up your, through your own means. Um, I think the bigger, you know, result of that will be on the tail end of what you've already created and stuff. So, um, yeah, that's that's it's 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 very similar approach to like you know any kind of game release. You want to have a lot of, um, I mean, everyone says get hype, get uh, have hype around your games and stuff, and obviously that's really important. Um, but hype isn't just having a few really really big name folks cover you. It's it's having like you know hundreds if not thousands of people uh, ready to hit the backer button uh, when you go live. Um, and so that, that's like a big focus for us. And then from there, if it goes well enough, um, you know, you, then you start coming up, you obviously want to have a plan for the next month while the, while the campaign's running and here are updates we can put out here are different sort of things that we can reveal, release, you know, unveil all that kind of stuff. Um, and then the, I think the, a lot of folks, a lot of developer folks will tell you or kick people who have run Kickstarters before will tell you the rule is, is if your first Kickstarter fails, then you just immediately run it again. Um, hmm. with some tweak with some tweaks to it. Um, AI War 2 was originally an unsuccessfully funded $300,000 uh, Kickstarter. Uh, we ran we ran it again, uh, stripped out a few things, stripped out a couple of major things, obviously, and then put it at $50,000. And we hit, I think, either a few thousand above or below the amount that we hit on the first uh, Kickstarter. Uh, but this time we got to keep the money and actually go forward with it so um i think a lot of folks that i've been saying i think a lot of folks a lot sorry um i I mean what i mean to say is in general there i think there's this thought that oh my kickstarter didn't go well it's over well 
No, just do it again and make sure it's retooled in the right way to make it succeed next time. And of course, you have to balance that out with the realities of the situation. If your Kickstarter is $100,000 and you made $5,000 and you rerun it again for $5,000, well, okay, but what's the $5,000 going to do? Like versus the $100,000 that you had budgeted for all these different things. Like you need to obviously have some sort of um, middle ground there that makes sense. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense to like obviously strip back your Kickstarter in a big way if you were like, hey, these things are critical. Like, mm-hmm. and I need every, I need every last cent, but with Arkin and with AI war two and with AI war two, it wasn't that way. Um, we had to take out the, th- we basically, we basically took out 3d, which not that many people cared about. Um, <laughs> and so it, it, it wasn't that big of a deal. There was a few, there was a few other major changes we had to make, but that was like, okay, that was where a lot of the money was going to be going. Um, and so we were able to kind of make those adjustments and proceed forward from there. And we have what I would call a, I wouldn't call it a successful release, but it's gone well to this point. And we would never have been to it at this point um, if we hadn't have done that. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much. I feel like we so rarely get a a peek behind the curtain at like at at PR and marketing in games. It's everyone talks about development, but nobody talks about, you know, like, or at least to, to the audience, no one talks about the, the experience and the, the process of trying to get these games, you know, in people's eyes and in the spotlight. Um, So it's been really great to have you on here. Thanks, Six. I hope people's eyes don't glaze over. I feel like it's super boring sometimes, but it, I, I do think there are some interesting aspects to it for sure. Um, and like you said, um, some things that I feel is kind of um, common common knowledge, that's just my perspective on things. And I realized that, uh, you know, a lot of this isn't necessarily like understood on, and, and on the, you know, just if you're a, if you're not a developer, if you're not like in those, in those constant development, like discussions and all those kind of things. Um, some of the difficulties that we have to have to go through and all that. So, mm-hmm. um, all right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Is uh, you want to shout out some some projects and your and you know you know any bros and everything? Oh my gosh. Uh, well, thank you for having me on, Six. I really appreciate it. And as far as shout outs goes, I have a we have a pretty big release coming up. Uh, as far as we're concerned, uh, on May first, called Precipice, and it is a uh, one to two player. It's, you can play it one player or two player online. It's a Cold War, tense Cold War match, matches, uh, kind of a diplomacy subterfuge uh, simulator. Um, and then we have uh, Fission Superstar X coming out next month as well. And that is a really, oh, the art is fantastic. It's a really wacky roguelite where you're trying to deliver a super bomb to Earth from this crazy wacky scientist and everybody's trying to stop you along the way. Um, so that's a lot of fun. And uh, other than that, I think those are the two things that come to mind right now, as far as Rudigo is going. Um, super exciting things that we can't announce yet, um, but I, but but we're taking the top off of that um, probably uh, in the late summer, early fall. We'll have something new to reveal, brand new, and just really excited to do that. Excellent, excellent. You're definitely you're definitely keeping yourself busy. So, yeah, I mean. Especially eventually when you have kids, you kind of just go, well, I, I mean, I'm busy anyway, so might as well just uh, like rat, ratchet it up a little bit. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 that's um, being busy is certainly um, it's, it's where I'm at right now. We could do a whole nother podcast and I'm sure we'll talk later six if we get a chance to, but the idea of um, maintaining some sanity uh, throughout all of these um, kind of this spinning plates that, you, that, that I'm kind of doing right now. 
mm-hmm. um, has been really important to me over the last few years um, because the way I was working before in my twenties, wasn't going to work for me in my thirties. So sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, as, as I'm just cracking 30 myself, I guess I have a lot, a lot to go ahead. So lot to learn about. Well, I didn't even like have my head on my shoulders till I was like 25, to be honest with you. So like I was just a whirling dervish of a, of a human being until about 26, 27. And then I started <laughs> actually like being self-aware. Yeah. First crucial step. Thanks so much for, uh, for coming <laughs> on and uh, yeah, looking forward to look forward to those releases. Uh, get, we'll get some uh, contact information in the, on the podcast notes here. So people can hold of you if they want, you know, if they've got something they need to get marketed and uh, hopefully we can have you on again sometime. Of course. Thanks again, Six, for having me on. Thank you. And thank you, listeners. Everybody, you know, take care of yourselves and have a good night or day or whatever whatever time zone you find yourself in. Peace. <laughs>